the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We're all about delivering great content, thoughtful discussions, and tips and tricks to help you truly get the most out of your life and business. And here's your charismatic host, me, Matt Browning. Hey, it's Matt Browning. Welcome back to another episode. It's Friday. Now, I don't know when you're listening to this episode. It could be any day, but I always drop these on Friday for you. We do interview Fridays with successful and interesting entrepreneurs to discover their origin stories and how they became who they are and what lessons we can learn from them along the way. So, Today, I have for you someone, I met I met this man uh, a couple of different times and just the most charismatic, fun, and uh, just engaging person you'll ever meet. His name is Tom Nardone, and he is the house-flipping mailman. What a story he has. So we get into a few really cool things, how he enrolled uh, for a job as what the Postal Service would call a letter carrier, or aka a mailman, at 19 years old, because he wanted to get a good government job, one that it could be stable. But he shares his stories how he accidentally started becoming a real estate investor and a house flipper by uh, his mail route. So he'll tell you the story about how as he's going along the mail route, he had a special close-up view at every single person's home. He started getting to know people. And when there was an opportunity to invest in a house or someone wanted out, he would jump in. He bought his first house in 1983 at 23 years old, and he retired at age 35. He's purchased over 250 properties in 25 years. So we cover some of growing up and how his family, uh, what they were like, his mom being an immigrant, and how that impacted his work ethic and his drive. And we'll share some of that about his uh, dreams growing up. He has some really interesting stories. One of my favorites, it was so... uh, impactful about uh, an old man that he met at church one day and the and the lesson that he learned from that and when the supervisor grabbed him at work and what came out of that interaction that experience that's when he knew it was time to go full-time into house investing and house flipping so he uh he also of course you know going we talk about you know he's done this for a long time since 1983 so we talk about going in and out of recessions and even crashes now, I was investing in real estate personally quite a lot from, uh, when, when was my first house? It was 19, I remember how old I was. I was I was 21, so that would have been like 2000, right about 2000 or 2001, I got my first house, and I was 21, and you know, so I watched, I, I, I started investing on the way up, and then I went through the crash in 2007, 2008, and I have my story with that. Tom shares his story. He went into 2007 with 36 houses, and he'll talk about what they did through the crash, how many survived, how many they had to get out of, and, and what the process was like. But also, he talked about how the housing market has shifted and, and what it's like right now to get back in and start flipping again and, and really do some real estate investing. So if you're interested at all in real estate, any way, shape, or form, uh, you must get to know Tom Nardone. He also has a special for you we'll talk about in the interview and at the close, how you can get a copy of his book, How to Make $10,000 Wholesaling and Flipping Houses in 90 Days or Less by the Millionaire Mailman. So without any further ado, uh, let's jump into my interview with Tom Nardone. Tom Nardone, I am so excited about this. Um, I really am. We, we've, we figured out our technical stuff. We are here. We made it together um, all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast. We met uh, just, I mean, a couple months ago, really, at that uh, podcast conference. And when I, when I saw you show up with uh, with the mailman gimmick, I, I call gimmick in, is an endearing term, you know, kind of the mailman gimmick and, and, and what you've done and created in the real estate world. 
um, with me with a real estate background, I instantly was uh, very excited about meeting you. And I know I have a lot to learn from you because you've created way more success in real estate than I ever did. Um, Tom, welcome to the pod, man. How are you? Hey, thanks, Matt. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. You are. Well, don't, don't thank me too quickly. We'll see where this one goes. Um, you, uh, probably one of the, the biggest cool notable things that I want to start right into is um, you were a mailman. You got a mailman job. Is that what Correct. you called a mailman? Is it a mail carrier? Is it a postal uh, worker? What's the proper terming? Uh, the, the proper technical term is actually letter carrier as uh, a as letter carrier by the postal service. Yeah, it's a letter carrier. Outstanding. Technical term. Nickname mailman. Nickname mailman. That's so cool. Um, so you got a government job at 19. I'm curious though. So you, you grew up in New Jersey, right? Yeah. I'm from yeah. the Northeast originally and, and still and on the in Florida. What yeah. did you, uh, were your parents from uh, New Jersey area? They still are. My mom and dad are alive and well, approaching almost 90 years old and blessed they're still alive and well up there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What, what was growing up for you in New Jersey? So um, I'm assuming you have mom and dad, were they together or did they split? No, what, what, what mom was and childhood dad, like? Actually, just four weeks ago, we celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary. Oh, that's so, beautiful. <laughs> isn't that amazing? Wow. So, uh, yeah, I, I get back to see them like every three or four months because I know, you know, our times together are, are uh, precious at this point. So, um, yeah, uh, growing up, I grew up in a solid family. I mean, mom and dad. Uh, but however, my I will say my mom, she was basically an immigrant from Italy uh, with the last name Nardone. I come from one of those big Italian families in the New York area. So okay. my mom came from Italy when she was 14, but 100% Italian on this side. Wow. What, what about your dad? Was he here, born here? Yeah. My dad was here in the States, and uh, but pretty much all my grandparents came from Italy. Yeah. What what was uh, I always found this really fascinating when when grow up with uh, with immigrant parents at, at an age that they can remember coming over right not so much when they were two or three even even that can can affect it what was the difference did you find a difference in in culture with how your mom wanted to raise you and how your dad raised you like what was the interaction what was the expectation you know meaning hey this is what we think you're going to do with your life how did that play into or did it at all. Well, I, you know, um, my mom, she kind of never really talked about her past a lot. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized she came from this company, from Italy to this country because the Germans were bombing. And there were many nights where she went to bed not knowing if a bomb was going to land on their house. Uh, they were hiding under the stairs. She lived in a farm out in the country in Italy. So wow. it was kind of scary times. And, you know, me growing up in the New York area, I certainly never had to worry about anything, you know, like that growing up. And, uh, right. You know, that, they grew up hard. Yeah. And I guess, you know, didn't realize that when you're saying that, I think, you know, 90 years old, that puts her right as a, as a kid in Italy in World War II. That, yeah. um, and did she, so she didn't talk about that much? You just know that happened later on? Yeah, we know that happened later on. My, my grandfather literally came in on Ellis Island, you know, the immigration station there in, in uh, New York Harbor. And uh, his name's on the wall. It's carved down there. I, and never went to see it until like a year ago, but it's there. It's, it's pretty cool. Wow. That is cool. You know, I, I think this country, there's all sorts of opinions, obviously, today. It's 2018 as we record this. And I, I still think, you know, there's something about, not to make this into anything political because it's not, but like 
the country's founded on immigration. It's founded on a place where people can come and have a better life. And yeah. obviously there's right ways to do that and so forth. But like, it's just so, it's so cool. I always get kind of a cheer in my heart when, when I know of a family who comes over and especially when you have someone like your mom who is, you know, bombs are going off and now she gets to grow up and be a teenager in this land of the free uh, and raise up her family and everything. That's, that's phenomenal. Um, did, were you closer to your mom or your dad? Uh, I would say both about, about as equal. Of course, cool. dad worked hard, you know, worked double shifts and stuff to keep the family fed. What did he do? But, uh, he was a police officer, but like a lot of police officers uh, up north, he moonlighted as a carpenter and a builder and built houses. And that's kind of how I got the bug wow. for, for doing what I do today. So he was doing both of those. So, so you didn't see him much, I'm assuming. Uh, he, he worked a, uh, a shift up there. It was called four days on and four days off. So okay. he worked so he did the four tens. Yeah. Four tens. And it was great. Cause you could like have two lives. So, you know, with four <laughs> consecutive days, you know, my dad would go out, he'd buy a lot, he'd build a house on it. And from when I was a kid, he'd take me on the job site. So I got to see how houses got nailed together. So look, that makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah. if I had four days off, I'd probably go build a house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think any normal human would do that. Yeah. So your dad, it sounds like he had an incredible work ethic. Would that yeah, be he did. I mean, very hardworking people. And, and, and they're, they're both very frugal. You know, they're, I mean, kids coming out of the depression that were raised out of depression, like my parents' generation were, right. you know, they learned to live on just the bare minimum. You know, you don't throw away anything extra. A piece of wood gets saved. You could use it later on. Yeah, you never know you need an extra floorboard. Did you find yourself getting, uh, taking that on or rebelling from it? Or was it really a factor for you as you were growing up, kind of coming into your own, say at 18, 19, 20 years old? Well, you know, I was kind of a product of the 70s, you know, Allman Brothers, Leonard Skinner, you know, the, the Southern Rock Age. And, Amen, you know, brother, brother. <laughs> get out there you know a little little too young for Woodstock era but um it was kind of like let's break away from all that hard work let's break loose and have a little fun right. so you know I, I did see mom and dad on their really hard work ethic and I and I appreciated that but I, I also love to have my fun you know out head for the mountains on the weekends you know grab my motorcycle I, I grew up on dirt bikes and all that fun stuff you do in the woods so now I'm in the airboats in the Florida swamp. So of course I, you are. Stay out of the gators. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. So it was always, a, did you ride a dirt bike always? Yeah, I had a motocross bike and uh, I, I raced motocross a little bit, you know, as kind of a, a amateur, but really like just, you know, enduro riding, just explore the, the woods. And uh, I've been to California. I know there's, you know, motocross and dirt bikes are really popular out parts of California. There's so much wilderness to explore. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of dual, uh, dual sport bikes people got, you know, cause you're basically yeah. head out from your house and ride for an hour, uh, up to big bear, up to the mountain somewhere. And then oh, you're just love cruising around. That's, yeah. you know, I'm kind of thinking of that. So I have a, I, I got a cruiser. I ride a victory and I just, you know, ride around town and go for PCH, you know, the coastal rides and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but that, that actually sounds pretty cool. Let me get out to the dirt a little bit. Um, when, did you move out early? What, how old were you when you moved out from your parents' house? It was 19. You were 19. So was that you already had the job as a letter carrier? Well, it was a bold step for me. And, and I'm six foot five. 
And I remember in high school, I was probably six foot four. So I always looked older than I really was. So if truth were to be told here, when I was 16, I kind of lied about my age, said I was 18. And I put in an application at the post office to take the exam because you got to take and it took two years to, to get called for the job. So by the time I got called, I was actually 18. So I was kind of over the bar and I was okay at that point. Oh my gosh. So wh- yeah. wh- why the postal service? Why, why letter carrier did, I mean, was it, did you see like your dad kind of the blue collar thing, government job? And you said, yeah, that makes sense. Or did you have a dream one day of doing it? Yeah. Uh, well, the motivation behind, uh, behind that as a first big job. Yeah, well, with all due respect to letter carriers, I've never met a letter carrier that grew up saying, when I get older, I want to be a mailman. You know, I mean, (laughs) it's just something you kind of fall into because the benefits are good. It's not real hard to do. Mm -hmm. And I I had relatives that worked at the Fort Lauderdale post office that encouraged me and said, hey, they're they're paying really, really good for the kind of work we do. And the benefits are great. So just put in the application. Well, my grandparents had moved to South Florida from the New York area when I was a teenager and I would go in the summers to visit and I loved South Florida. So I was really looking to get out of the snowy north and move to the, you know, the tropics as soon as I could. So that's why I left home at 19, which for, I guess for a 19 year olds was somewhat of a bold move, but at least I had uh, some relatives down here that, uh, you know, kind of give me that family feel. Okay. So you had some relatives and so you, so you moved down to Florida first and then, and joined up with the government, started working. Yeah. Hey, from day number one, I mean, I moved down and I, I moved down maybe like five days before the job started and they sent me right to training. Yeah. Packed up everything I had in the trunk of my 66 Chevelle. Come on, (laughs) living the dream. At age 19, I didn't own a lot. I had a toolbox, sold the motorcycle before I came down. Okay. And, what did uh, you think you wanted to be when you grew up? Like going back to being a, a little boy, did you ever have a, uh, I'm going to do this? You know, wow. Um, to say an astronaut or a mailman or anything like that, and, and it wouldn't be anything like that. Just want to be an astronaut, cowboy, millionaire, right? <laughs> like Homer Simpson. I, I'd say more. The thing I wanted more than anything was my freedom. Mm. I, I, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just mm. didn't know how to go about it. I wanted to be able to make my own decisions and just not feeling like somebody was breathing over my my neck every day and and telling me what to do. So and and that happened to me in a, in a weird way, as as we talked about it earlier. Oh yeah, I can't I can't wait for that story. You know what's funny is uh, so every time when when I chat with someone who again anyone who's created an entrepreneur lifestyle for themselves, it's fascinating. You know what maybe the first business was sometimes. Um, did you ever have like for me? I remember two things. I don't share this all the time. In fact, I don't think anyone's actually heard this one. So quick story. So when I was maybe seven, six or seven. I had, I had to be about seven because I was writing something. I wrote a note, my first note to say I want to run away from home. And the note said, Mom, I'm running away from home to be an ice cream man. And I saved it in my top drawer, like by my socks and underwear. And I say, because I wasn't ready yet, but I knew that the time was coming. So I wanted to prepare. So I wrote the note so that was ready. And I just figured the, the biggest dream I could ever have is what if I could just literally live in the ice cream truck? 
what if I could do that? So it's kind of in a way like a, a postal route, right? I'm going around the neighborhood and I, I always dreamed of that. Um, that never came to happen. I never ran away and I forgot about the note. She found it months later. Um, did you ever have like a, a, a business or a, a lemonade stand or a, that, that kind of a thing as a kid? Since you knew you wanted to have some freedom, did you ever like go down that road? Did you sell candy at school or any funky stuff like that? Or did you, you just know what I had? The one thing I, it, you know, what actually got me started earning money was uh, the paper route. I had a paper route. Ah. In fact, I had two paper routes. And maybe that whole, I'm used to kind of delivering things. How was, young were you when you started that? Uh, I was like 14. Okay. Yeah. Used to delivering things. Like, oh, yep. send a paper. What's the difference in throwing a letter? Yeah, exactly. Don't throw the letter though. You get in trouble for that. But, but uh, yeah, uh, sort of the same concept. And on, on top of that, I had a mechanical ability. I love tinkering with my, with my cars. You know, a lot of muscle cars from the 60s and 70s that were just uh, classic, iconic cars. And I, I was in the Chevelles and Chevrolet and sure. those, uh, high performance cars, Camaros. Just cool, cool, cool day to be alive back in the 60s and 70s with some of the cars they had. Yeah, no joke. So, uh, so you're, you're able to like tinker with cars, have some fun, get yeah. your roots down in Florida. How, how long did you end up total working for the Postal Service? In total, it was 16 years. Wow. So you continued, because we'll, we'll get to what you did in a second, but you, even after you started getting some success in real estate and investing, you continued working. And eventually you hit that day. So um, I have, is this accurate? When you were in 1983, you were 23 years old when you got your first property? I, I actually built my first custom home really when I was 23 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Built it from the ground up with a builder. Yeah. What was the thought for that? Was that, was that just, hey, I'm going to, I want to have my own home or was it a, uh, an investor type mentality? You know, it was, it was a little bit of both. I saw my dad do it since I was a kid because he moonlighted as a builder being a police officer. Right. So here I was the mailman and I figured, you know, my wife and I, I actually met my wife at the postal service and she is also a letter carrier. So oh, a match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're still married now for 34 years, actually we're going on. So oh, congratulations. Uh, yeah. And how old were you when, when you, when you got married? 23. 23. Okay. Yeah. So right at that time. So you get married, you're building yeah. your first house, you're really yeah. making it. You've been at it for four or five years. Yeah. This is like, do you feel like you're getting to, uh, in a way like the proverbial top of the mountain or do you feel like, Hey, life's coming together. I, I, I got my job here. We're building our house. So I have my wife. Like this is really working. Does it feel yeah. like that to you or does it feel like you're like, you're, it's still out of reach what you're wanting? No, actually, you know, I, I really felt like just driven that I was on the right path and we were getting an early start at it. In fact, all my friends, when I told them I was getting married at age 23 and getting a house, they were like, get out of here. You're going to be divorced before you're 25 and all that. So oh, good friends. Yeah. So hopefully you divorce the friends. Yeah. Isn't that great? That's kind of great support you get. It really is. Break out. But uh, yeah, we did get that start. We actually contracted for the house and started building it. So right after our wedding day, we could move right into it. Wow. Oh, that's cool. So did you carry over the threshold? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were you careful with her head? Uh, yeah. The doorway? Because that, that's always my nightmare is like, if, I, if I'm going to do something like that, bang. <laughs> She's real petite. It's like I'm six foot five and she comes up to about here on me. So 
Uh, she weighs all of about, I think, 115 pounds. You're not supposed to see how much your wife weighs, though. <laughs> but how tall is she? You can say that, I think. Uh, yeah, she's, I think she's like 5'4", or something like that. She's quite, quite a bit smaller than me. Nice. Well, I'm quite a bit smaller than you, but so I had to keep finding a wife smaller than me. I'm like five eight, so she's five one. <laughs> Same. Thing. All right. Oh man. Uh, so so things are going well. You are crushing it. Um, how long until you got your next property? Well, I uh, I had that house and I wasn't really sure that I was going to be in real estate at that point. Here we built the house at age 23, mm -hmm. but for a couple of years we kind of flopped around with some different multi-level marketing companies and uh um you know we tried the amway business which was probably the the, the most uh, uh you know well-known one back in the day and you know great company great products we we just couldn't get it to work for us and then we tried a few other companies but just never could really get there then i was lucky uh, back in the mid 80s like around 1985 this brings us to now there's a lot of guys that would blow through south florida especially orlando being a seminal seminar capital of the world yeah. Uh, Fort Lauderdale, they would uh, do these no money down seminars. So that's right. kind of when I found out about real estate. And that's a perfect 80s. You have like the Carlton Sheets of the world. Yes. And hey, he's a local. He lives in Palm Beach, just uh, 45 minutes north of me. Yeah. He's you know, I, I bought his program when I was in real estate. I, yeah. I, and he got me thinking. It's funny. I never actually used any of his uh, his process, but he wow. got me like motivated and thinking about, you know, I need to get something different. And I, bu I bought my first four unit. It was a five, but it was a legal five. So it was actually a four unit place. Um, but I bought my first units because of Carlton Sheets and, and, and just, just motivation, right? I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out and look for these things. And I found a place with a good cap rate, you know, basically a, a rental rate of return. And, sure. and well, you know that, but, but maybe no one else does. Um, and, and it's funny. So did you ever buy the, uh, the, the real estate investing courses or did you get a mentor or a coach? Uh, did you buy into it or were you like, Hey, get out of here. I can do that myself. Well, I, I was lucky that the couple guys that I learned from, they weren't just like information marketers, which in this day of the internet is very popular. It's yeah. easy to fake your way to who you are. But so, so meaning someone who doesn't actually invest in real estate themselves, they make their money from selling information about investing in real estate. Correct. And then Correct. you're like, well, why don't I just do what you do? I don't, I'm going to buy houses. I should just sell programs. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which, right. which is an, a breath of fresh air to meet someone like you who like you, you give mentoring and advice on investing in real estate, but you've bought over 250 properties in two and a half decades. That's quite a resume. Uh, so did, did you buy any of those programs or you said you, you had these mentors that were doing the work? I had the mentors. They were actually, um, they were actually doing the real business in the real world. But what they helped me to to uh, personally recognize was that, hey, Tom, you're a mailman. All day long, you're out in these neighborhoods, and you see houses that are vacant. You see houses that are run down. You get to see this information before anybody does. And plus, you're doing that on our government dollars. You know, it's like you know you can utilize your job as a way to 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 also be able to get ahead in in the investing world. So. Mm -hmm. They were right about that because many a times I'd know these personal stories going on in the neighborhood about, hey, so-and-so's getting a divorce and they just want to get rid of their house. And, and word became that I was buying houses. And before you know it, I had some streets that I owned three or four or five houses on the same block. Wow. Yeah. Somebody would get in trouble. They'd say, well, talk to Tom, the mailman. He'll buy it. And, yeah, the mailman and, buys houses. Okay. <laughs> so you yeah. started getting a real referral network. Yeah. Man, that's outstanding. Um, 
you so for for about 10 years you went pretty heavy into into investing from 25 to 35 right Correct. You said, yeah so you retired at 35 years old yeah i had a simple goal that i was just going to buy about three houses a year so one house every four months and um and i pretty much stuck with that goal and every time I did that, every time I bought another house, I kind of rewarded myself with taking another seminar from somebody else. Because I, one thing I did notice is sometimes you meet a lot of seminar junkies that go to a lot of stuff and then they never do anything. And I didn't know I didn't want to be one of those. So I started a little game with myself that, okay, I've earned the right to take another seminar when I bought another house. So kind of wow. helped me move forward to buy the next house because I loved going to the seminars. So some people buy, you know, they reward themselves with a new uh, Apple watch or an iPhone. Some people take a yeah. vacation. You reward yourself with educational real estate seminars. Yeah, I, I really did. Yep. That sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah. Considering <laughs> computers weren't even invented back then. So yeah, neither <laughs> was the internet. 1985. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Computers yeah. took up a room, you know. Yeah. <laughs> how, uh, how fast does it change? Sure. Uh, so, so tell me about the, the process of going, I don't know, like what had to happen mentally for you to go from owning a couple of houses to like over 10? What, what was there a difference in thinking mentality belief system? What did you have to believe about yourself about what's possible? Um, and so forth. Yeah, great question. And the answer that I remember vividly was, I realized that I had to just kind of mentally separate myself from the people that were around me. It's like, you know, I would Those use same the, friends from the, the you're going to be divorced in two years friends. Yeah, kind of well, not only that, but you, you're your comrades at work. You know, mm. I mean, it's, it's more at this point about having a paradigm shift because, you know, you're surrounded with people that have a certain, you know, government paycheck belief and they don't understand entrepreneurialism at all. And I realized quickly that, wow, if I want to get to my goals, I need to have positive reinforcement and start hanging around with like kind people. That's going to be like really critical. So I, I, just, you know, hey, if, if you ever go in your, your company's break room, if you have a regular 40-hour-a-week job, just listen to the conversations that go on in there. Just, you know, about what was on TV last night and all that stuff. It's just like, oh, my goodness, get me out of here. Right. You're like, I don't even have time to watch all that. And Yeah. Yeah, it's one thing to follow sports, but it's another thing when that becomes, like, like the thing that's important to you. And that's right. where you get significance and... Uh, and, and everything like, uh, Hey, I'll, I'll follow whatever I can, right. Wrestling, football, basketball, baseball, but it's mostly to make connections with people, right. Is, right. uh, you know, pastoring and loving people. It's about connecting with people, but it's not like I go home and go, man, this is what my week has been building towards. I can't wait to watch that one baseball game. It's going to be amazing. Right. So, right. so you did, uh, did you do a lot of personal development in addition to like the real estate investing? Like, would you go to, you know, a Tony Robbins type seminar or that sort of stuff? Would you get those books and tapes? Uh, cause I'm talking the eighties. So you're probably getting tapes. Yeah. yeah. Back in the day, I would say probably the guy at the front of the pack was Zig Ziglar. Oh yeah. And, and yeah, Zig had a lot of good stuff and I, I really consumed a lot of his information. Uh, I would say probably one book 
that I've read that was life-changing for me. And if, if your audience has not read the book by Zig Ziglar called See You at the Top, boy, is that a great book. See great book. You at the Top. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's an old classic uh, back out there with, you know, the magic of thinking big and, and uh, you know, a lot of the books we still cherish today. How right. to Win Friends and Influence People. Sure. You know, yeah, those yeah. are all good reads. Classics. Classics, yeah. Still, my favorite is uh, Financial is uh, Richest Man of Babylon, As a Man Thinketh. Yes. Just, you know, Think and Grow Rich, I think, uh, goes without saying usually at this point. But, sure. um, but Richest Man of Babylon was a huge, it's a huge uh, mind-opening, simple little parable, you know, um, that really, really changes things. So you did a lot of personal development. You're doing a lot of real estate uh, mm -hmm. development. When did you feel like, I guess, what was the next time you felt like, hey, I think I finally made it? Or have you ever gotten that feeling? You know, I, an investor? Yeah. You know I, I actually felt like I had that feeling in 2005 uh -huh. when I looked at my net worth and I'll say 2005 because in 2006 and 2007, it didn't matter if you were in Florida or California, there were some hardest hit areas out some there. So. Net worths uh, shifted a little bit, let's say. Yeah, it wasn't all a bed of roses, Matt, how I got here. I yeah. mean, I did go through some tough times 10 years ago. And so let, let's and, talk about that a little bit. So, yeah. e, e, and sorry to interrupt, but even before the 10 years ago, so you were getting properties, um, you know, in the 80s. So when it hit like, you know, 87, 88, 89, right? There was some, some major... Uh, crashes 89 into 90 what was what was that like for you did you lose any houses um did you hang on because you were doing mostly rental properties because i kind of like the idea of going hey i don't care if it's worth half the price it still nets the same so i'll keep it and wait till it goes up what was your mentality and what was your strategy well you know because i had mentors that were older than me and in much cases like you know 20 to 30 years older than me yeah. they were pointing out the opportunities in the market so when i was getting started and really getting ramped up in the late 80s they pointed out to me hey this dip in the market you need to take advantage of that this house should be selling for 25,000 more which back in that day you know 25,000 represented a much higher ratio of equity in a property than today yeah. but um, yeah, they, they pointed out to me the timing thing. Right. So, so you were able to then like in, in the late eighties dip, you were able to look at those and go, Hey, they're half price, you know, 25% yeah. off houses. Let's pick some more up. So you yeah. actually, um, which I love so much that strategy of, you know, everyone says buy low and sell high, but the question is when and how, um, right. That mentality of being ready yeah. for it. So you were able to look at that dip then and go, Hey, this is my chance to buy half price houses. Yes. And you know, we might have heard that phrase, it's hard to time the market. Absolutely. But when you have people that are much older than you and they recognize the patterns when they come and, you, and you're, you know, you're in a, a mastermind, so to speak, with those mm -hmm. people, they can really shave some years off your life because they can point to say, hey, you need to pull the trigger right now and do this particular thing. And, and I was lucky I had that getting started. And I actually saw two corrections, one in the late 80s, one around 90, 91. And then one around the early 2000s. And then, of course, we know the big kahuna, which was, you know, 2006, 2007, about 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, you, you could point to like 87, 89. You could point to 93, 94. 
Um, it's kind of a, a time for a, a smaller dip. And then obviously the dot-com bust in, in 2001, 2002. Yep. Again, same thing. Did you, because of mentors, did you come out pretty unscathed from that? I mean, again, I'm sure some value dropped for what you had, but excuse me, did you, did you go through any major, like a, a loss in then, or I guess let's jump to 2008. Cause yep. that's the one that, I mean, I got hit biggest with that. I was pretty yep. highly leveraged in 2008. Uh, you know what I had about 5 million in property, 4 million in loans and, and, but a couple of pretty high end houses. So that went from work and like it obviously went backwards pretty quickly. I ended up doing a couple of short sales and, and it just, cause I was doing this faulty strategy, which you're going to fix for me and everyone else of, I don't care if it's negative cash flow, it's going up so much. And correct. And that's amazing, right? Because I got my first house in 99. So it was like a nine year run. So I basically started right around that time of, mm-hmm. of, of the busting time mm-hmm. and then rode the wave up and then continued to leverage, continued to invest. And then there you go. So that was my story, like a million other people. What was your story from the 2000s leading up to the crash? Well, my story leading up to the crash was I was really buying the houses for long-term growth. And yep. I was really planning on having them for 15 or 20 years. I guess where I got stuck in 2007 was, you know, it's like if you ever gotten a tight crunch, you know, when you own like 20 or 30 houses and you just need to raise 100000 for whatever reason, I could just turn around and sell one. And what really shocked me was, wow, there was like a three or four year period there like where no one was able to get loans. And I don't mean like guys like you and I as investors. I mean the end buyer. You yeah. know, there's Joe homeowner. Could, could, yeah, the banks were just like at that point just saying hands off and they weren't loaning money. So it, it, when you can't refi yourself out for needed capital and you can't sell for needed capital and the house just didn't make any sense. And I say the house didn't make any sense because you may owe 150 on it on the loan. And at one time it was worth 300 and I was only 50% leveraged. But I, I kid you not, Matt, I have houses where I can show you a $300,000 appraisal. And then two years later, only appraising for like $60,000. Oh my gosh. So now yeah. you're 90 I mean, grand under. Yeah. May or may not positive cash flow. Right. And what do you get? So what, what did you... What, what did you do? How many houses did you have going into 2007-ish, roughly? It was about 36, 37 houses. Okay, so, okay. Yeah. And coming out by 2009? <laughs> coming out, we, we managed to keep about a dozen of them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so about it. Your inventory went out. Yeah, and the way we just drew, we, we had to, you know, we had to just make some, some really quick business decisions. You know, we got to dump this like a bad stock if it's upside down and uh, if there's no equity left in it. And where we really got stuck was an artificial market got created for rents here for about three years where a lot of landlords would not pay the bank and then they dropped the payment on their house from like 1300 a month to like 900 a month and they'd start renting out their house. And then before I knew it, tenants were leaving. I said, well, why are you leaving? And they said, because I could rent the same exact model down the street for $400 less a month. And I said, but you got to understand he's in foreclosure. And, and by the time- paying the bank for nine. Yeah. 
it may only last two years before the bank takes the house because Florida is a very slow foreclosure state. You can keep gotcha. the wolves away for 10 years, literally, if you want. Right, and you can keep it away and then you file bankruptcy yeah. and it puts off more. But, so, but, but you're telling the tenants at any time, all of a sudden the sheriff puts a lock on the, on the door and you're right. stuck. Correct, correct. Your rent so, is not going to the bank, which is highly illegal, but how many yeah. people did that? Of course, a ton. Right. So, you, you know, in short, I guess the shortest thing to say is the fundament, fundamentals of the business were just all wacky for, for about three years there. Yeah. The houses were way undervalued. They shouldn't have been selling as cheap as they were. And um, most of my houses, by the way, are only like five or six blocks from the beach. So wow. I'm talking about some prime real estate. Yeah, never absolutely. thought they would go that cheap. I thought we have sun and sand here and we were inflation proof or, or, or crash proof. What, so. Tom, what, what was your mentality like? I don't want to say in the middle of the crash, because I'm sure you kind of, I'm sure you fluctuated like anybody, positive, negative, how you were thinking, but what was the, men, what, what was the mentality and how did you make the shift from everything's falling down around me sort of, right? You know, I'm losing the house as things are upside down. Mm-hmm. When was the moment when you said, you know what, now we're rebuilding and, and you started seeing the vision or seeing what's going to come next? How did you make that shift mentally? Because I think for a lot of us, it's really hard when the environment around us feels like it's crashing in, it's not working, the economy's against us, parents, uh, whatever it is. What was your strategy or how did you kind of dig inside and go, no, no, like this, we're going to rebuild this. This is going to be okay. I, like, this is, we, I am a successful person. Right. I guess that was when I was, I realized the banks at one point were very flexible and I I did have a a fair amount of capital saved up and I was actually able to pay off some of my loans at literally like five or 10 cents on a dollar. So that, that's on the pro side of that. They'll take anything at this point. Yeah. I mean, there was a time. I I mean, we literally paid off a $350,000 mortgage for $3,500. They accepted that as a payoff. 1%. 1%. And I've got the paperwork to prove it. And it was at that point where the banks were just, they were on their back. They were down and, and, uh, they were, uh, people were kicking them <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> rightfully so they started it. Right. Well, uh, you know, there's yeah. something, there's something to that. Cause that was around the time too. I remember when Obama got through, he was brand new and got the $700 billion uh, bank bailout, yeah. which I didn't vote for. And a lot of people didn't cause it didn't pass the first time. Yeah. And then they came back around the next day in the newspaper and said, America's doomed. We didn't pass the law. What do you, and we're like, yeah, of course we shouldn't bail it out because that way we'll have a quick crash. And we'll come back. And then the next day, the newspaper said doom and gloom. And don't worry, we're going to put the vote again as a second chance. So you guys, you guys can all make the right decision. Everybody freaked out and voted yes for it. Uh, and then, you know, there we have it. <laughs> so interesting. Uh, so so you, you saw a lot of that, um, that success with, with negotiating with the banks moving forward. How did your strategy change, if at all? between pre-2007, 2008 and post-2007, 2008? Did you, did you say back to, like, back to the basics, we're gonna keep doing the same thing? Or did you learn from a certain mistake, lick some wounds and say, now I'm not doing this, but I'm doing that instead? Yeah, well, I'm not borrowing money with personal liability anymore. <laughs> I learned that one and uh, it was- How, how do you get around that? 
Well, it was expensive to get out of. We had to, uh, you know, we had to pay all debts. And, and uh, I will say we did have to short sale probably about four or five houses. But uh, I will say I never turned my back on the bank and just walked, or, uh, walked away. I always felt I wanted to do the right thing. I'll find the buyer for it. I'll arrange the short sale. I did all the work. There's only one where the bank was just being stupid and didn't want to work with us at all. But um, uh, everybody I knew, folks that were, you know, in our, you know, if an investor like you and I were at that point, we're all in the same boat. So um, it was easy to find people that were around me that were going through the same thing. So uh, probably I'd, I'd jumped off a building if I thought it was just me going through it alone. But having that mastermind group of people that you can relate to and peers, you know, saying, hey, we, we understand we've got the same problem. Let's just let's take the emotion out of it. Let's just look at what's missing from the situation and figure a way to add it in. Yeah. Right. So, so now in, in, in the last couple, last several years, however long this has been, you, you're the millionaire, um, mailman, um, real estate investing mentor as well. So now, like I said, in the last 25 years, you've actually gone through and purchased over 250 properties. Yep. Um, I don't know if this is too personal or not, or if it's public, but, ha- uh, can I ask about your por- portfolio now? Um, what do you, what are you carrying now? Um, whatever you yeah. want to say about it. Yeah, all we have right now is we have about 15 properties and the majority of them have either very low debt, which is soon to be paid off, and and a lot of them are free and clear and we're not signing anything more with personal liability. That's Um, great. Yeah, it it may be a discussion for another day, but um, you know, with Roth IRAs and 401ks, they're not supposed to take on personal liability, but you can do a lot of deals right in those structures and you mm-hmm. can do it tax-free, which again, is a, that could be a whole show. Discussion yeah. Yeah. We might that. have to do that too. Exactly. Cause yeah, if you're sitting with a Roth IRA or 401ks, there's strategies where you can um, essentially borrow against your own money, which is a positive for both sides because you're the lender and the borrower uh, yeah. and not have to pay the penalties and use that to invest. Um, you have some, and we're coming to the, to the twilight, unfortunately already it's, the time is going wow. so fast. I know okay. it's, it's a, uh, it's just about two more minutes. So, um, so I want to honor your time. I know you're a very busy guy and you got some houses to, uh, to rent and houses to buy. So sure. now do you run mastermind groups? Do you have coaching programs? I know you have a ton of digital stuff. This is your chance to plug. How can we connect with you? Uh, if someone, cause Tom, you're one of the guys to me, you're one of the good guys in the real estate world. You're one of the guys who's been in the ups and downs and you know what you're doing. So if you want to, to mentor, to learn from someone, I would certainly suggest uh, you're one of those guys. So what do you have kind of uh, available or what's the best way to connect with you on uh, what's a good first step? Let's put it that way. Yeah, well, thanks, Matt. You know, whether you're a rookie to real estate uh, or you're a novice, I, I basically coach and train over the last five years. I, I've literally coached probably about 600 students, believe it or not. Wow. And currently I, I act also as an outsource coach for some of the big national gurus that probably a lot of people on your show have already heard of. And uh, they wind up outsourcing them to me. Uh, but I also have my own coaching students as well. So most people, even if they're brand new to real estate or wondering, you know, 
how do I get my first deal closed? Like, how do I even know how to get started or even where to start doing this? Yeah. So what I've done, Matt, is just for people like that in your audience, I've written a book about that. It's called How to Get Your First Deal Closed, Flipping Houses Within 90 Days and Get a $10,000 Check. <laughs> and if they would like a love it ebook. Um, actually, it's very easy to do that. You, it's a free ebook. You can just uh, text 31996. Just text the word mailman to that short text code 31996. And immediately you'll get a text back that'll say here, you can download your free ebook here. So uh, it's real simple. Don't do it while you're driving. <laughs> no, don't do it. So if you listen to this while you're driving, don't do that. I will put that in the show notes. Sure. Um, so again, I'll put the number in there. It's 31996. All you have to do is if you're on an iPhone or something listening to this podcast, you just hold and press the button, send a message yeah. and type in the message mailman yep. and you get uh, your new ebook for free about how to get started. Yep. Phenomenal. Yep. Tom, final question. We got about 30 seconds. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've been, uh, you've been phenomenal. I've really enjoyed this conversation and it, this leaves me wanting more. So I hope, uh, when I get down to Florida at some point, we can grab a cup of coffee. Uh, <laughs> final question. More than that. I'll take you for an airboat ride. Oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. If you could go back and give a uh, 19 year old you any advice, what would you give? And if you could change anything about what you've been through, what would you change or would you leave it all the same? Uh, 19 year old me, I would say just trust your gut feeling and, and know what it is you want to do and make sure you do it with the mindset that you're going to build a residual income for yourself. That's going to last a lifetime. And if something happens to you, it's also going to feed your family. Love um, it. Having free yep. and clear houses will do that. And would you change anything or would you leave it all the same? Uh, I would probably start by buying and selling as opposed to start by buying and holding. Create some cash in your bank account first. That's what I would do different. More buying and selling to start. Love it. Thank you for the advice. Thanks for the time. Tom Nardone, everyone. You know what I really loved about that, that interview is Tom, again, I, I said it in the beginning, but he's such a genuine guy. He just... He knows how to do property, and he's done so many of them. You know, he's not like a lot of people that, that try to start teaching something before they really have mastered it. He's purchased over 250 properties over two and a half decades. The guy has experience, and he just knows how to make it work and how it doesn't work. So the fact that he's willing to teach and share, and he has a book on this at this point, is just, um, he's a great source and a great resource to go to. So I'd encourage you. He has a special uh, gift for you. You can get a copy of his book and ebook for free. No uh, strings attached, no pricing. It's a pure gift. His book is How to Make $10,000 Wholesaling and Flipping Houses in 90 Days or Less by Tom Nardone, the Millionaire Mailman. The Millionaire Mailman. It got easy for me to say. The Millionaire Mailman. If you text, and you can actually take this on your phone right now, just pop over to the text app. And if you text 31996, you text to that number. So you write the number as the phone number is 31996. And in the text box where you'd write your message, you write the word mailman. If you do that, you'll get a link right to his book. I'm looking at it now. And there's a video that, uh, that where he talks to about your book. You can click right there to get a copy for free for you. And he will take you through the seven simple steps that anyone can follow and start making real money by wholesaling and flipping houses so you can change your life 
and stop worrying about paying bills. If that's important for you, I would suggest picking it up. And here's what's cool too. He says, at the end of the book, you'll have a chance to work personally with Tom one-on-one and build a lifestyle for yourself that most people would never achieve. He retired at age 35. He never went back to letter carrying again all through real estate. It's carried him through a crash and through a resurgence up again. So you owe it to yourself to connect with Tom. You can, of course, find him on all social media. And speaking of social media, feel free to get active. When we put up this episode, uh, whether you're watching this on YouTube, you're getting on Facebook, you're uh, on the podcast app or on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or or iHeartMedia or you're hearing this on the radio, whatever you are, make sure you check me out at at Matt Browning, M-A-T-T-B-R-A-U-N-I-N-G. You can follow me on social media. You can like me, uh, be my friend. Go check it out, and you can interact. What I'd love to know is I want to know what you want. Go on social media and let me know. So if you're an Instagram person, if you're a Facebook person, what have you, go on there and leave me a comment or send me a a direct message. And I listen. I, I check all of them. Sometimes it takes me a little while, but I promise you I check them all and I read them all personally. So let me know what you want. What kind of entrepreneurs do you want to see interviewed? What kind of of industries do you want to hear about? Do you want more on coaching? Do you want more on business? Do you want more on real estate? I am doing this for you, completely and totally for you. I want to encourage you in your life and make sure that you are set up to win. So take that. As usual, have an awesome weekend. Get out there and crush it. Do something significant, and I'll see you next week.